You are listening to Hope of the Nation podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we hope this message will encourage, build and strengthen your walk in the Lord. Good evening and a very warm welcome to all of you. We want to welcome you on behalf of the World Needs a Father movement and uh, together with the Center Church we have organized this this webinar titled Heart of Discipleship. Now, for those of you who were with us last week, I know you were challenged, uh, you were you were encouraged to think afresh and approach the, the the topic of discipleship or the subject of discipleship very differently. And this week we have something very important for all of us who are leaders here. Uh, pastors, heads of churches, organizations, uh, and it's focused primarily on the leader. And it's titled, The Disciple-Making Leader. What does that mean to us? But before we get into the content and before I invite our speaker this evening, let me uh, run through some very basic uh, instructions. Firstly, your microphone and video will be disabled during the entire session. Uh, so you don't have to worry. Your, your, you would be, in a sense, disengaged, but we want you to ask questions. So please type on the Q&A icon, and you can type in in the language of your choice, but please make sure you ask very relevant, good questions, because as, as Reverend Edmund always says, asking the right questions is absolutely crucial. So uh, please ask questions, and we will try to uh, entertain as many as possible with the limited uh, time duration. Also, for those of you who prefer uh, to follow in the language of your choice, at the bottom of your screen, you would see a box with uh, the three languages. So click on the language of your choice and then you would encounter or you could enjoy simultaneous translation. Also, you could uh, click the at the bottom of the box, there is something which says um, disengage um, original language. And I think if you do that, then you would hear it in the language of your choice only. Also, uh, we would encourage you at the end of the session to get into breakout rooms where we could discuss, uh, engage with one another, and also get to know people from diverse backgrounds, different geographies. And it was interesting that last week we had uh, uh, pastors and leaders from five countries joining us. And I hope that would continue today as well. So breakout rooms are very important. Please don't miss out on the sharing. And we will give you clear instructions at the end of the session. But before we start this evening, once again, uh, the speaker needs no special introduction. But for those of you who were not here with us last week, I just want to let you know that he's the leadership mentor of Covenant Evangelical Free Church in Singapore. He's also the founder of Global Alliance of Intentional Discipleship Making, Disciple Making Churches. Um, they say that um, he has a twin passion in ministry, expository preaching and leadership mentoring. Uh, what more can you ask for uh, from a pastor, leader, pioneer? And uh, he has this wonderful combination. He was also the senior pastor for over 25 years and then very successfully worked on a transition in 2012. And uh, he has handed over the church not to one senior pastor, but to two. That in itself tells you about the ethos and the culture that uh, he has been able to breed a, at Covenant. Also, he's an author of many books. I would not be going through the titles, but if you if you go on Google, you could uh, check out the titles. But more importantly, he's, he's married to one wife, Pastor Ann Chen, who travels and ministers alongside with him uh, around the world, and uh, an absolute partner in ministry, and also exemplary as a ministry couple. They've also been blessed with two lovely daughters, Amanda and Belicia. So um, without taking much of his time, uh, let us welcome Reverend Edmund Chan to speak to us this evening on the topic, the disciple-making leader. But before he does that, let us pray this and commit this evening to the Lord, because as he shared with us, 
this is divinely appointed and for such a time as this in our nation may the lord warm our hearts this evening and bring alive the word and the truths embedded in his word transforming and changing our lives as leaders and we know that if the leader is transformed so will the church so will the nation so let's pray father we thank you once again for this wonderful opportunity that you have given us lord to engage your word understand the principles lord i pray this evening committing every leader every shepherd who's gathered with us this evening lord i pray for transformed lives i pray lord that we would align ourselves in obedience to the word of god anoint thy servant empower him by your spirit illuminate the truth of your word that it would sever bone and marrow tonight lord we pray give us receptive ears listening ears receptive hearts lord give us a posture of learning give us a posture of obedience lord give us a willingness to change guide us this evening we pray in jesus matchless name amen good evening everybody i'm edmund chan from singapore and it is such a joy to be with you this evening i want to begin our time in the light of the scriptures and and i want to look at isaiah chapter 41 verse 9 and 10 isaiah chapter 41 verse 9 you whom i took from the ends of the earth and called from the chief men thereof and said unto you you are my servant I've chosen you and not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Yes, I'll uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. One of the things I learned about life and leadership is that life is complex, and leadership is challenging. And very often, uh, we we have to understand. That leadership and discipleship comes together. You cannot separate the two. Leaders must walk in discipleship, and discipleship cannot be advanced in the church if there's no leadership behind it. But when we talk about leadership, we got to understand that we have to move from the fear zone into the faith zone. How do we engage leadership in a time of uncertainty? How do we exercise godly leadership that will lead the church into authentic discipleship and intentional disciple making? Well, I find in Isaiah chapter forty-one, these two verses in chapter nine of chapter forty-one, verse nine and ten, it gives us three great promises of God, three great God statements that anchor us in our leadership. The first statement is, "I have chosen you," verse nine. Rather than focusing on the circumstances, Isaiah focused upon God as the defining reality. In other words, he made God the center of gravity in his prophetic leadership. What we need to do is to understand we are the chosen ones of God, not because we are special. We are chosen because of His grace, and we are called unto leadership in the same way, because of the grace of God. I have chosen you. The second statement is, "Fear not, I am with you." In other words, don't take your eyes off the faithful one. The faithfulness of a faithful God captures our hearts, because God is unchanging. He says, "I am with you," and therefore we don't need to fear when the presence of God is with us. The third statement he made is, "I am your God." Verse ten: Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. In other words, we don't have to be discouraged. The burdens might be heavy in leadership, and sometimes we are tempted to pray, "Lord, lighten the load." But often God doesn't lighten the load; He gives us rather strength to carry the load. 
he increases our strength. He said, I am with you to help you, to strengthen you, to uphold you. God is the one who is both our strength and our wisdom. Now, I want to apply this thought for us into the leadership application. Because in the terrain of leadership, in the sphere of leadership, there are three challenges that all leaders face. The first challenge we face is the task is too big. In other words, we say, Lord, the problem is too big. It is too great. And God's promise is, don't worry. I have chosen you for it. I have called you. And so if you find that the leadership uh, that the Lord has given to you is heavy, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Because God himself promised, I am the one who chose you. We don't focus on who we are as leaders. We focus on who God is, who have called us and who has chosen us. When we focus on God, we have a big God. I learned a simple equation. If God is big, the problem is small. But if we think God is small, the problem is big. Oh, we serve a mighty God. No problem is too big for him. The second struggle leaders face is, but our resources are too few. The task is too big. The resources are too few. And God says, I have chosen you and I am with you. That's the promise of God. His presence is with us. God himself will supply the resources we need. We need to trust him in prayer and in faith that God who called us will provide the resources for us. The third obstacle that leaders face is the progress is too slow. The task is too big. The resources are too little. The progress is too slow. But God's promise is, listen, I have chosen you. I am with you. And he promised, I will help you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Herein, in the scriptures, is the faithfulness of the faithful God. My encouragement to us as leaders is that we must come back to the Holy Scriptures, the living word of God. That is why uh, in, in two weeks' time, I want to close this series with getting into the word because that's our foundation. But for this evening, I want to share with you about leadership because leadership is crucial in, in giving a sense of direction, a sense of empowering, and, and a sense of confidence for the people of God to lay hold of the purposes of God and to fulfill His purposes in the light of His will for His glory. So let's start with this first consideration of leadership. What are the seductions of leadership? What are the temptations of leadership? I want to begin by sharing with you four seductions of leadership. The first seduction of leadership is a seduction of busyness. You see, very often, leaders think of themselves as busy people. Why? Because we learn important people are busy people. If we are busy, then it speaks about our importance. The danger is, we can be over busy. Now, please understand, busyness itself is not a problem. Jesus in his ministry was busy. In fact, the Bible recorded the time where he was so busy preaching, he didn't even have time to eat. The problem itself is not busyness. The problem is when we become 
over busy. Sometimes I'm asked as a leader, are you busy? And my answer is, I hope meaningfully busy. Now, what is meaningfully busy? It means I'm busy with the things of God, by the will of God, in the timing of God to fulfill the calling and the purpose of God. I'm not busy in my own agenda. I'm not busy with many programs. I believe in divine appointments. And as a leader, I want to be sensitive to the leading and the will of the Father. Here's my point. If we engage in the calling of God, sensitive to the Lord's leading. In other words, our pride and our ego is not in the way. We are not out to seek to accomplish big things for God. We are out simply to do the will of the Father in His time, for His purpose, unto His glory. When we do that, there's a sense of restedness inside. Take a deep breath. Relax. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. My yoke is easy, it's not busy. So rest in the Lord and follow the Lord's leading. Don't be over busy with many things. Sit before God and ask Him to guide you in terms of His leading for your life. The second temptation, the second um, seduction of leadership is the seduction of success. In other words, we think that the more we accomplish, the more successful we are, then God loves us more or we are favored more. But God's love is not dependent upon our performance. Our relationship with God is fulfilled by the cross of Jesus who reconciled us to God. God is not impressed with our performance. He simply calls for our obedience. And so this idea of being successful, being well accomplished, leading large ministries, sometimes the danger is, is for the human ego rather than the leading of the Lord. Now, please understand this. Whether the ministry is large or the ministry is small, the size is not the important thing. The important thing is, has the Lord called? If the Lord has called you to pastor a large church or to lead a large ministry, praise God, be faithful in it. But if the Lord has called you to pastor a small church or lead a small ministry, praise God, be faithful in it. When I started in the ministry, God led me to the smallest church in the slowest growing denomination. And I was completely rested and satisfied in it. Why? Because my aim wasn't to pastor a large church. My aim is simply to fulfill the purposes of God and engage in discipleship and disciple making to build a healthy church. So success, we have to have a radical redefinition of success. Success is wise stewardship to fulfill the will of the Father. It is spelled in one word, obedience. The third temptation of leadership is the temptation of giftedness. The danger, especially for highly gifted leaders, is to depend upon their own strength, their own giftedness to do the will of the Father or fulfill the purposes of God. It doesn't work that way. Leadership is not a do-it-yourself project. Leadership is a dependence upon God, a dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And that is why when we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit, upon the strength and wisdom of God, we find a restedness inside our soul. And we are not trapped by our own giftedness to the point 
we are no longer dependent upon God. The fourth seduction of leadership is the seduction of authority. You never know the character of a man until he has power and authority in his hands. We are given authority as leaders, not to control, not to oppress, but to support and to empower, to equip and to release the people of God for ministry. That the authority is not given for self-gratification. The authority is given to serve. For Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. These are the four seductions of leadership, busyness, success, giftedness, and authority. But when we walk the path of discipleship and servanthood, we will be able in Christ to overcome these temptations of leadership. There is a book I enjoy uh, reading recently. The title of the book is Redefining Leadership by Joseph Stowell. He was the president of Moody Bible Institute. And he wrote in his book that there are two kinds of leaders. He says that the first kind of leader is the outcome-driven leader. The second kind of leader is the character-driven leader. Outcome leader is a result-oriented leader, accomplishment, the performance track, whereas the other is a character-driven leader. And he gave 10 differences between these two kinds of leadership. Let me paraphrase what he says simply to help us understand the two kinds of leaders. The result-oriented leader identifies themselves as a leader. But the character-driven leader identifies themselves as servants and followers. The outcome-driven leader measures their success by results, outcomes. But the character-driven leader measures their success by the positive influence of their character and their servant leadership. The third, the Outcome-driven leader, the, the success-driven leader, uses people to build the enterprise, the organization. But the character-driven leader uses the organization to build people. Fourth, the outcome-driven leader promotes themselves as the center of the organization. But the character-driven leader promotes Jesus as the center of the organization. Fifth, the outcome-driven leader believed that the organization should serve them and their interests. But the character-driven leader believed they are there to serve Jesus and their organizations in him. Six, the outcome-driven leader leads with the power of positional authority their position. The character-driven leader leads to the power of moral authority, the character of their lives. The next, the outcome-driven leader demands uh, for affirmation and personal recognition. But the character-driven leader willingly affirms others and encourages them. Seven, the outcome-driven leader trusts their own instincts, whereas the character-driven leader knows their own fallenness and they are dependent upon the wisdom of Jesus, the guidance of God. Number eight, my apology, number nine, the outcome-driven leader are competitive, whereas the character-driven leader cooperates with others for the advancement of Christ, or the work of Christ. And number 10, the outcome leader sees themselves as the CEO of the organization, but the character-driven leader 
sees themselves as the shepherd. We have to grow to be servants and shepherd in, in a discipleship-oriented leadership. We are not the boss. We are the servant. And the servant leadership seeks to empower others with the authority that Jesus has given to us as leaders. Character-driven leaders. Once we set this correct, that, that it's not our size of the organization or, or the, the, uh, the accomplishments we have that defines us as a leader, but our character. Then we have to ask ourselves, what do I do then as a leader who desires to build up my character in him? Then how do I lead as a leader? I want to move on to share with you five competencies of a leader. In other words, five skills that the leader must develop. The first is the visionary skills. Now, what I mean by visionary skills is the ability to first receive the vision from the Lord. And once we have received the vision of the Lord by prayer, by studying the scriptures, by seeking the Lord, then we cast the vision to the people of God. We share the vision. And the third, after we receive the vision and we communicate the vision, we concretize the vision. In other words, we don't just tell the church, let's be a disciple-making church. That's the vision. We concretize it by discipleship training. We provide the equipping. And then finally, we commission the vision. In other words, we gather the leaders and we help them own the vision so that they themselves promote the vision by making disciples as disciple-making leaders. So visionary core competency, visionary skill, is not just about talking about the vision. It's about being convicted of the vision we receive in the light of the scriptures, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Then we share the vision, and then we equip others in the vision and finally, we commission the vision. We, we, we charge them to live out the vision and to promote the vision. What I mean by that is 2 Timothy 2.2. The things you have heard of me in the presence of many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men. The second skill is the decision-making skill. In other words, the leaders must make the right decision. How do we make the right decisions? We listen. We listen to God and his word and the leading of the Lord. We listen to the cries uh, that is around us, the needs that are around us. And then we ask God for wisdom to make decisive decisions and take decisive action to meet the needs that the Lord has surfaced for us. We also listen to other leaders. We learn from them. We ask the question, what have you done in, in the light of these needs that have helped you? What are the best practices? And so we listen, we learn, and we apply the things we are learning. We learn to make the right strategic decisions by listening to God, listening to one another, listening to other leaders that God has, has uh, led. And then we apply these things we have learned to make the decisions for a specific direction. The third skill is change management skill. We have to learn to strategically make the necessary changes step by step. We cannot change too fast because people will not be able to follow us. But we cannot change too slow because then there is no change, there's no shift, no turning around. We need as leaders to understand that we equip a core leadership team to understand the vision. And then once we have this team that is being equipped, we launch the vision. We make that change that is necessary. So the first step in change, train your leaders. Find a group of leaders, a group of kindred spirits, and equip them and empower them 
And when they are ready as a leadership team, you make the changes that are necessary in the life of the church, the life of the organization. Step by step, we make the change. Leadership is about change. Leadership is about taking us from one place where we are. We are not in a status quo. We are not to be in a rut. We move from one level of growth to the next level of growth to another level of growth. The fourth skill is the problem-solving skill. We need to grow to learn to solve problems. How? Again, by hearing and learning from other leaders, by reading, by learning about leadership. But most of all, by sensing the Lord's call upon our lives and having the courage, the integrity, and the purity to solve the problems that, this, that we're confronted with. One of the greatest problems in leadership is people problem, staff conflict, people conflict. One of the greatest problems in leadership is conflict resolution. As a leader, I do not run away from conflicts. I do not search for conflicts. I don't enjoy conflicts. But when conflicts come to my leadership doorstep, I do not run away from conflicts. I always confront them. Why? And I am confronting them lovingly, directly, firmly. Because you cannot run away from conflicts. We have to resolve conflicts with the servanthood and the authority and leadership that God has given to us. How do you do that? There is a fifth skill that is necessary. It's the hardest competency of all. It is self-leadership. In other words, it's growing in character, growing in integrity. And in, in that integrity, in that character, we learn how to direct ourselves and thereby learn how to direct others. Personal leadership. Oh, personal leadership is so hard. But that is where we need God. We need to know as leaders, we don't have all the answers. That's why we need God. There is a new book that is written um, last year by Todd Wilson. His book is entitled, Tending Soul, Mind and Body. I'd like to quote two paragraphs of that book for you. This is what he says. Pastors can be godly and dysfunctional at the same time. They can be holy and not whole. They can be biblically faithful and psychologically broken. They can be prayer warriors and control freaks, spiritually mature and emotionally repressed. They can sincerely love Jesus, yet be addicted to food or porn or pain meds. I know this to be true, he said, by experience. And he added this, for many years as a pastor, I was godly and dysfunctional at the same time. If you have come to live with me for a week in January 2015, slept on my couch, shattered me through my day, you would have come away thinking, he's a godly guy. He loves Jesus. He loves the Bible. He loves the church. He cares about his wife and children and making a difference in the world for Jesus. But you also would have seen that I was dysfunctional. You see, in leadership, we've got to realize that even though we have godly intents, there might be dysfunctionalities within that we need a restoration and a healing in. That is why the first thing in leadership is not how we lead. The first thing in leadership is how we live. And this arena of dealing with what is inside us is very, very important. Recently, I was thinking about the area of the dysfunctionalities within. And I wrote an article entitled, The Seven Signs of an Unhealthy Leader. I want to share with you what these seven things are for us to examine ourselves and ask the Lord to heal us as leaders 
and then empower us as leaders so that we can walk as a disciple-making leader. Why? Because self-leadership is so important in leadership today. It has to be character-based leadership. It has to be a godly leadership that deals with the dysfunctionalities within. What are the seven signs of an unhealthy leader? The first sign is a misplaced sense of self-worth. In other words, unhealthy leaders believe that the wealth, the worth, their worth is based on how well they do. It is their inner script based upon a flawed belief system. This is self-sabotage. Harboring a misplaced sense of self-worth based on performance, unhealthy leaders tend to compare and compete with other leaders. Self-worth. Our security must be in Christ. The second sign of an unhealthy leader is attention-seeking. Unhealthy leaders have a tendency to call attention to their achievements or associations. Their boasting or name-dropping covers up their insecurities, as they often rely on recognition and approval from others to conquer their self-doubt. So unhealthy leaders zealously hoard the limelight, call attention to themselves, and they are quick to take the credit, and they are quick to shift the blame when things go wrong. The third sign of an unhealthy leader is work addiction. Unhealthy leaders are over busy. They are swam, swam with back-to-back -back meetings, and they are caught in a performance trap. Their significant others, in other words, their, their spouse, the wives or their children, would easily recognize the workaholism in them. And sometimes unhealthy leaders would even use office work to avoid tough responsibilities at home. The fourth mark of an unhealthy leader is that they are utilitarian. Unhealthy leaders are utilitarians in their relationships. In other words, they use people for their own goals and their own agendas. They often view relationships based on how others can contribute to their own achievements. Also, unhealthy leaders often uh, leave broken relationships in their wake. In other words, uh, in, in the leadership, there are all kinds of relational conflicts. And as a result, there are many disillusionment and hurts. The, the fifth mark is unhealthy leaders are authoritarians. Unhealthy leaders lead by fear, control, and intimidation rather than by positive empowerment. There is a culture of fear. The staff walks nervously around these leaders. They feel tightly wound. In other words, they are feeling very tense with these leaders rather than a sense of delight in seeing their leaders. Number six, unhealthy leaders are perfectionistic. Unhealthy leaders are often afraid to make mistakes or seem to be weak. They are quick to point out the faults of others. That's because they are perfectionistic. It goes back to this competitiveness in them, this achievement-oriented leaders. And being perfectionistic gives them a sense of self-importance, a sense of superiority. And number seven, unhealthy leaders have self-neglect. In other words, unhealthy leaders often ignore the condition of their soul within. The driven life on the outside takes precedence over the health of the inner life within. And the urgent usurps the priority of the important. They have no time for God, no time for their own health, their own spiritual health and the condition of the soul. And soon enough, these unhealthy leaders will adopt a life that runs on empty 
they would either crash or they'll fly, as it were, uh, by their own giftedness rather than rely upon the true strength of God. We have to learn to be healthy leaders to develop healthy leaders. Let me put in a nutshell a summary for us what I want to say about leadership. The more I teach and think about discipleship in the church, the more I am convinced how important leadership is. I begin by saying leadership and discipleship are joined together. That if a, a leader is not strong in discipleship, he will not be strong in his leadership. And, and if if discipleship is being promoted, but there's no leadership behind, there is no sustainability. The question is, what kind of leadership is needed? I want to suggest that it's not a leadership based upon success formulas, strategies, um, accomplishments. Rather, it is a character-based leadership that is grounded in obedience, surrender, and a sense of servanthood and stewardship in the kingdom of God. We have to come to develop a quiet restedness in our soul as to the kind of leader that God will call you and I to be. Let me give you a simple assignment that you can think about and, and do that would help you in your inner life to grow as a God-dependent leader. Very often as I come before the Lord in prayer, I would kneel before the Lord and I'll put three things symbolically before the Father. I'll take up my spectacles and I'll put my spectacles before the Father. I'll take up my wallet. I'll put my wallet on the floor as I knelt there before the Father. And then I'll take up my watch and I put them before the Lord. And I say, Lord, my watch represents my time. My time don't belong to me. My time belongs to you. So Lord, please guide me in the use of my time so that I can use my time wisely to grow as a leader. I can use my time wisely to serve as a leader. You guide me by divine appointments. I will follow you because my time is yours, represented by this watch, surrendered to you. And then I take the wallet before the Lord and I say, Lord, this wallet represents my possessions. All that I have, I surrender to you. I place it before you. Use it for your purposes. Use it for your glory. And then I take my spectacles and I say, this pair of spectacles represent the way I see things. And so help me to see things correctly. Help me to see things with wisdom from above. Because if I see things wrongly, I cannot lead rightly. So help me to see the situation correctly, see the people correctly, see myself correctly, see the church correctly, so that I don't lose heart, so that I don't give up, so that I know you are the God who says, I have chosen you. I am with you. I will help you. Help me to see correctly. Now, some of you don't wear glasses. So what you do is you put your Bible before the Lord. And, and the Bible represents the light, the guidance, the wisdom, the ability to see. So your Bible, your wallet, your watch, and come before the Lord and say, Lord, all these things in my life and in my leadership, my time, my resources, my ability to see and lead, I surrender to you. Take this exercise regularly until there is a place of holy surrender to the Lord. And then you arise as a leader. You see, as leaders, we are concerned in how we lead. But God is concerned in how we live. Live well under the guidance of the scriptures, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Get right with God in the place of prayer. And as you live aright by God's grace, 
we will lead aright. God bless you. I'm open for this time of question and answers. Thank you, uh, Pastor Ed. Uh, thank you once again for challenging us and uh, inspiring us this evening. Uh, so much to rethink and reflect. Uh, and we have received some questions. Um, so uh, let me read out some of the questions that have come up. Uh, firstly, uh, what do you mean by self-leading? Uh, because we've also seen a lot of the dangers of self-made leaders. But could you unpack the whole thing of self-leading? Because Thank we live you. in a culture that we always kind of say, God told me, um, you know, and that kind of rhetoric. But uh, what do you mean? Can you unpack this for us, please? Thank you, Pastor Niroshan. This is a very important question. Self-leading and a self-made leader are two different things altogether. First, let me explain what self-leading is. Self-leadership means I must first lead myself before I can lead others. In other words, it's leadership by example. If we say, let's grow in our quiet time, self-leading means I lead myself first to grow in a daily quiet time, to reap the benefits of that in my life so that I can lead others in it. Without leading myself, I am not able to lead by example in leading others. Now, a self-made leader is a totally different category altogether. Because a self-made leader is a self-dependent leader. Oh, the leader can start out well. The leader can start out sincerely. But the danger is, for the self-made leader, there's a danger that we might shift towards self-dependence rather than God-dependence. And the danger of this self-dependence is when we say, God told me, God guide me, etc., and it doesn't happen. Meaning, meaning, it may not necessarily be God's leading. This rhetoric, this way of saying things is very often for self-validation. In other words, I'm a leader, so the way to help people listen to me and follow me is to say, God spoke to me but it's the fruit in our lives that makes the difference. It's not our words. People may be deceived by the words of a leader. And so a shallow leader may be leading shallow people. But on the other hand, we realize there is no sustainability. Eventually, it will collapse. Sustainability comes not by the rhetoric, God told me, God spoke to me, but by the life. And so if you ask my, uh, the staff who works with me in Covenant or my fellow leaders in the church, my church board members who work close to me, when I say to them, the Lord guided me, the Lord led me, there is a whole track record that shows true. One example, when I say the Lord has led us into a building project and, and we are going in by faith, we don't have to draw down on a bank loan and we will enter completely debt-free. The Lord has said that to me, and it came to pass exactly as the Lord has said. I think this coherence between what we say and, and the fruit of our life and the fruit of what we say must match. So self-leadership is, is leading in that integrity between what we say and how we live so that we can lead by example. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Pastor Ed. Uh, many more questions are coming, and uh, let's take the next one. Um, basically, it has to do with uh, how do you live on focused on what is important rather than what is urgent? And let me unpack that a little bit further. Uh, in a sense, how do you get out of the treadmill of ministry? and start living out the call because sometimes we have built our ministries in such a manner uh, that if we don't it won't or we have created expectation among the people to deliver in a particular manner and bringing about change is a challenge 
how do you uh, articulate change effectively uh, without damaging and hurting the body mm -hmm. yeah i have learned two things are important the first is the posture and the second is the process let me explain posture by way of a story in the national art gallery in london there's an entire floor dedicated to the Italian masters, the Italian Renaissance. And so all the masterpieces by the Italian painters are there. One of these paintings is a painting by a fifth century painter by the name of Lippi, who painted uh, Jesus and his mother, infant Jesus and his mother. And one day into this art gallery comes a famous art critic by the name of Robert Cumming. He stood before this piece of work to admire it and examine it. And he loved the brilliance of the color and, and the, the brush strokes. The skill of the artist could be seen, but, but there was something that was missing. And Professor Robert Cumming, the professor of the history of art in Boston University, he, he was trying to figure out what is really missing in this piece of art? It puzzled him. And then suddenly it struck him as he asked the question, what was the purpose of this art? How was it painted? Could it be it wasn't meant for an art gallery? It was meant for the place of prayer, a place of worship. You see, in the art gallery, they stand up to admire the artwork. But in a place of prayer, you do not stand up, you kneel. So Professor Robert Cumming did something he has never done in his life. In the public art gallery in London, he knelt before this painting and he looked up. And suddenly from the kneeling posture, everything changed in the perspective. Everything came up perfect, meaning... Mother Mary was, was holding Jesus closely. The hills in the background was in the right proportion. And everything else in the painting was beautiful from the position of, of that kneeling position. In life, is like that. When we think about the treadmill of ministry and the challenges of ministry, we have to come at it not by running faster or doing more. We have to come to it on the posture of kneeling before the Lord and asking for his guidance. So the first answer to, to this treadmill of life and ministry is, is the posture of dependence upon the Lord, posture of prayer, of worship, a posture of not the standing of human wisdom, but the kneeling so that we can receive the wisdom from on high. The second has to do with the process. The process basically is to realize that we will be caught in, in the whole uh, demand of life and ministry and the burden of leadership unless we are willing to set aside time to be alone with God to seek his face. The highest priority for a leader is his time alone with God. One day when my children were very young, I called them in the family conference uh, as we prayed with them. And I said to my young children uh, at that time, they were, they were preschoolers before they went to school. I said, listen, I love you as a father. And the best thing I can do for you as a father is to love your mother. The best thing I can do for you as a father is to love your mother. The best thing we can do for our organization or our church that we lead is to anchor time alone with God and to love God. The process of this begins with a stepping, uh, what we call a stepping stone, the first step. The first step is given to us in Revelation chapter 2, where in, in the call to the church in Ephesus, there was a warning given, you have lost your first love. I want to humbly suggest that the first process by which we come to anchor in God is when we regain our first love. 
Otherwise, everything we do won't make sense. You can memorize scripture. You can do your quiet time. You can go out in evangelism. You can do so many things in ministry. But if you have lost your first love, nothing makes sense. You will burn out because the passion inside will not be there. The fire inside will not be there. The romance in walking with God in that love relationship will not be there. So let's put first things first. A posture of dependence upon the Lord and then coming back to return to our first love. Because once that happens, everything else is set in place. The perspective will be right. You see, I can tell you a lot of steps by which we can do, but if these steps we do, the posture is not right and re the returning of the Lord uh, to the Lord is not there, then nothing you do will really make sense and have sustainability. Keep these two things in mind. The posture of dependence upon the Lord in humble prayer and submission and obedience and the process by which we first return to the Lord and, and recapture that first love. And then the second thing you do is very simple. It is in the words of Jesus or rather the words of Mary to the servants about Jesus. Mary said to the servants, whatever he says to you, just do it. John chapter 2, wedding in Canaan. Mary went to the servants and said, whatever Jesus said to you, just do it. Life is not difficult. It's not a treadmill. Leadership is not a treadmill. Whatever he says to you, just do it. And then you will find your empowerment there. Thank you, Pastor. That was a brilliant answer with much clarity. Um, many more questions are coming up. I know we are running out of time, but I think it would be important to take at least a couple more. Is that yes. okay with you, Pastor? Perfect, uh, yes. Right. Uh, this one goes like this. The culture of non-disciple making has become strongly rooted because of the lies of Satan, which you rightly mentioned. What advice can you give us to break through this rooted culture and make the church small group a disciple-making one? Should I repeat? No, I got it. Thank you. Okay. Oh, I love the questions you asked because um, they are foundational questions. One of the greatest mindset change in discipleship today is to understand that non-discipleship is costly. The reason why there are many Christians who are afraid of discipleship is because they think discipleship is hard. That's their Satan's lie. Discipleship is not hard. It is non-discipleship that's hard. Let me explain. Discipleship is costly because uh, Jesus said, count the cost, you have to be crucified to yourself and so on. Uh, that's, that's the first step. But once you enter in the first step of surrendering to God, the power of God comes in and it strengthens us. It's no longer in our own strength. The power of God strengthens us. And, and then we discover his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But when we enter into the Lies of the evil one to think, oh, discipleship is hard. We fail to realize non-discipleship is even harder because there's no satisfaction in the soul within. Ministry is hard. Leadership is hard. I've been in the ministry for over 30 years. But there is a joy and a fulfillment in the midst of his hardness that, that gives us that sense of thankfulness to God. On the other hand, non-discipleship itself is terrible. It's a burden and, and not only is it hard, there is no satisfaction or fulfillment within. So we are living this double life and that's very difficult. The other lie Satan sows to us is not just discipleship is hard. He tells us discipleship is optional. You can choose whether you want to be a disciple or not. Don't be a disciple too soon. Take your time. It's all right. Enjoy life first, etc. It's optional. Discipleship is not hard and discipleship is not optional. 
is meant for every Christian. It is non-discipleship that's harder. And, and it is this, this sense of uh, whether we choose to be with God or not, that is a choice. But once you choose God, then discipleship is not an option. It is a necessity. How do we then, how do we then engage the small groups as disciple-making um, culture in this? Again, there are many, many steps. I want to give you the most foundational. Go back to the Word of God. Think about this. If in the small groups we do nothing else, of course, there are many things we'll do in small group like worship and pray for one another, etc. But, but let's lay that aside for a moment. If the small group and discipleship group did nothing else, but encourage one another in a daily quiet time, and then we come together and we share our quiet time together, we encourage one another and share how God help us to walk in Him, walk in His truth. By that sharing, we encourage one another in the journey together. That will make such a huge difference. And I'm not talking about that only for young Christians. Last week, I meet with the senior pastors and the senior staff of Covenant. And in our mentoring time together, the first question I started with is, what has God said to you in your quiet time? What have you gleaned from the word of God? Because that's something that we can't miss. So take that step first. It's foundational. When you get that step right, other things will be set in place. So, so as a leader, grow in your daily quiet time. Follow the Lord's leading, not just to know the word, but to do the word. And then share with one another in the small group in that journey and it grows as a disciple-making journey. Thank you, Pastor Ed. Uh, maybe uh, we would take one more question. Uh, now, you talked about the unhealthy leader. And uh, if we summarize it in some sense, it's primarily, I think, dealing with the identity and the values of a leader, or identity and values of leadership. Uh, could you unpack that a little bit for us? Unhealthy leadership primarily has to do with the issue of identity, significance, and security. Identity as to who I am. Significance as to what I'm called to do in my life. And security in a sense of whether I have the strength and the wisdom to do so. And these three things, identity, significance, and security, is either rooted in our self, anthropocentric, man-centered, or anchored in God, theocentric. And what we need to learn as a leader is to recognize the inner script inside that, that writes our core values. In a script like, I'm not adequate, I'm not good enough, I don't have the strength, I feel like giving up, oh, others can, I can't. And in this kind of negative thinking, this kind of deception and lies of the evil one discourages us to the point we feel like giving up. But on the other hand, if we receive the truth with God, then we realize that God wants to make a breakthrough. God wants to do a deep work in our life. He wants us to take root downwards and bear fruit upwards. And in order to do so, we got to realize that God wants to make this decisive breakthrough in our life. I've always believed that in God, breakthrough is possible. And breakthrough is possible because of the power of God at work in us. Now, here's the truth we must balance as I, as I bring things to a close tonight. The breakthrough is important when we surrender to God and God breaks into our life and there is decisive breakthrough. It's important. But the breakthrough without the work through has no sustainability. Our breakthrough must have a work through. In other words, when God breaks into our life, when God speaks to us, like, like tonight, when we listen to the word of God and, and God challenges us, encourages us, 
I have chosen you. I am with you. I will help you and strengthen you. And we say, yes, Lord, we desire that strength. And we come in surrender afresh to the Lord. Return to your first love. And we say, we want to do that, Lord. But if there is no work through, after a while, our heart grows cold again. And the inner script that writes our value system, the deceptions and the lies that confuse us in our identity, our significance and our security causes us to be discouraged again. The work through becomes important. Now, what's the work through? In the next two sessions, discipling the church and getting into the word, I will share with you more what that work through involves. So come and join me in the next session and the last session, and I'll tell you more about this work through that is necessary in discipling the church and anchoring the church in the powerful word of God. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for a refreshing and a very challenging time. I know we have been blessed, but so much to unlearn, so much to unpack, uh, and such a responsibility, I believe, thrust on us as leaders. So um, before we close uh, this, this part of the webinar, I think it's important to remind ourselves that uh, Pastor Ed started off last week under the theme, Demystifying Discipleship. And, and he went through the bad news, the good news, and also exposed three myths on discipleship. And then he left us with the three non-negotiables in discipleship. And I think today uh, he's dealt with some very, very important aspects, very specially for those of us who are shepherds and leaders. I think we are left without excuse. And I think it calls us to uh, really search our hearts in the light of God's word, his truth and principles. And I believe uh, it would be very appropriate at this time to ask uh, Pastor Ed to pray for us as we, as we come to the end of the teaching time that the Lord would enable us to truly obey, realign, posture our hearts accordingly and begin to live the life. Uh, so Pastor Ed, would you mind praying for all of us, please? Thank you. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, we come to you in our weaknesses. But in the same voice, in declaring our weaknesses, we also declare your strength. We declare your promise that you have chosen us and you are with us and you will help us. So help us, dear Father, when the task is too big, the resources are too few, and the progress seems too slow, that we anchor in you because our strength is in you, our hope is in you, our advance in the kingdom is in you. So Lord God, tonight we ask of you to help us to build health in our life and in our leadership so that we are not unhealthy leaders, but we grow as healthy leaders, developing healthy leaders. Help us in this wonderful journey. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Hope of the Nation podcast. See you next time.